Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We are back in your wheelhouse, Andy. You're a full-time football guy, and we're going to talk a lot of spring football today. It was nice to get away from it yeah. for a second, but now that they're actually practicing, I wish we could see more of the practice. Because I don't feel like I have the greatest handle of what's going on with the team right now. But it is nice to sort of just get back in that football mode where you're talking to people a little bit and, and writing about it every day. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to be a general practitioner at times. And I, and I really enjoyed your analysis of the basketball. I thought it was great. And we'll talk a little uh, – we'll talk spring football, of course. That's going to be the, the nuts and bolts of this. The, then we'll also get into a little bit of the uh, controversy with the lacrosse, the women's lacrosse team at Tech. Um We'll also talk a little bit about the Final Four, and I have a bold baseball prediction I'd like to end this this podcast. I always like to hear your baseball. And I'm very excited to announce we have a new weekly segment we're going to introduce this week, unless it sucks. Aaron is excited <laughs> to announce this. I am somewhat skeptical, but I'm you, you're putting blind faith in the fact that I think he, he might be able to pull it off. Andy, I like the segment. I'm curious if the song will be as well-received as uh, the Pimpleton Minute was. You've got to be in my corner because – the, the the ebbs and flows of this podcast go go as you go. I mean, if you if you approve of it, it will be embraced by the audience. If you don't, everyone's going to just throw tomatoes at me. All right. Well, I am one hundred and ten percent on board with your your uh, project here. So okay, it's I'm called curious. the picnic bath. Picketing caskets tweet of the week, but we'll we'll get to that later. Aaron will have to explain what that means to a lot of people. Yeah, and we'll only explain it once, then in the future we won't have to, hopefully. All right, let's get on the football field, on the old gridiron. Let's start with quarterbacks, because that's what everyone's always talking about, is the quarterback race. And I know you got a chance to uh, interview Josh Jackson. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's entering his second year. Anything different about Josh? Any news and notes from his offseason that are that are worthy? You know, it sounds like he's trying to be more vocal. Uh, maybe not necessarily with us in the media room. He's <laughs> sort of his, his usual laid-back self and doesn't get too worked up or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we asked a couple players about him. They say he's a little bit more take charge this year. Not just with the quarterbacks, with the entire team. I think that's what you need to do as a quarterback as you get older and mature is, is sort of grow into that role. Uh, and last year you have guys, especially on offense, like Cam Phillips and Wyatt Teller and uh, Eric Gallo, guys that have started a bunch of games. I think he could just sort of go in there and be a guy on offense and not necessarily have to lead from the front all the time. But eventually you need your quarterback to be that guy that gets everybody going on the team. It's it's uh, I wouldn't say it's essential, but it's, it's how you should construct your football team if you have a perfect view of how everything's going to go. So... The fact that he's getting out of his comfort zone a little bit with that, and I think the coaches are pushing him a little bit uh, to be more take charge like that, that's probably a good sign. Uh, you know, that, that's not going to say like, oh, he's definitely going to win the job because he's like that. But uh, I think it, it's a nice thing to have in, in your corner when you're, you're making an argument for that job. Uh, the whole quarterback situation is interesting. It's like I don't feel like the job is like open, open, like it's anybody's uh, race right now. Uh, and I think even Fuente would just acknowledge right off the top that, hey, you have a guy that started 13 games last year, and they haven't had an incumbent, this new coaching staff, at Virginia Tech since they've been here, and this is year three. So uh, I think nobody's sitting there putting their head in the sand and saying, nope, don't even acknowledge the stuff in the past. I think they've said, you know, if they played a game tomorrow, Jax would be the starter. But 
Uh, you've got Hendon Hooker. You've got Ryan Willis that are in there getting reps too. Uh, I think they want a healthy competition at quarterback. I think they want each guy to push each other. I think they want to have them all ready in case something happens to the starter and another one has to go in. Uh, It's just sort of all these things. I I think you're always going to have a competition at quarterback in spring ball when Justin Fuente is the coach. And even when it was kind of obvious, I think, that Gerard Evans was going to win the job, that competition lasted up through August. Right. Uh, last year, when nobody had any experience, competition went up through mid-August and actually was decided earlier uh, than when Gerard Evans won the job initially. So uh, maybe if you get to the point where you have like a three-year starter and it's obvious the guy is the starter, that will change in the future. But for now, I feel like every time they go into spring ball, it's going to be, okay, you're going to open things up. Everybody's going to get a chance. And, you know, over time, they pare things down. Did, did Josh have any thoughts on his second half of the season, you know, now having some time in between then and now uh, to reflect on it? Did he did he you know analyze himself a little bit more for you guys or, or no? Not a ton. I, I mean, I, I think part of it was he was healthy or he's now healthy, got mm-hmm. over sort of the, some of the things that were affecting him. He had a, a foot thing that slowed him down a little bit, his shoulder uh, after that Miami game where it looked like he, he really might have got seriously hurt and he actually came back into the game. Uh, you know, I think he has been critical of himself along the way. I mean, I remember him after the bowl game being highly critical of himself, uh, saying he missed throws. And everybody's like, yeah, you missed some throws. Like, I know. <laughs> I just right. told you I missed some throws. So uh, I don't think it's some sort of revelation that he came to in the offseason. Like, looking back, I didn't play that great in the last five games. Uh, I think it was a combination of health for him. I think it was a combination of Virginia Tech didn't have some players. You look at Yash Nijman out of the lineup and Stephen Peoples in and out of things. Cam Phillips wasn't there for the bowl game. Uh, and the competition got tougher. I mean, they, they played Miami and Georgia Tech and Oklahoma State and all these teams that were pretty good, you know, Georgia Tech's record notwithstanding. Uh, you know, you look at the first half of the schedule when you're beating up on ODU and ECU and, you know, even uh, North Carolina. I mean, <laughs> within the conference, the only tough team you played really in that first half of the schedule uh, was Clemson in West Virginia, and BC turned it on later in the year, but that was sort of after the Hokies played them. So uh, I, I think he's very realistic about how he looks back on his freshman season, even though he didn't explicitly say that, just because he was sort of even-keeled throughout the whole thing. He wasn't like, oh, I'm the greatest when he was doing really great at the beginning, and he wasn't like, oh, I'm the worst when they did bad at the, at, at the end. I think that's part of the, his strength as a quarterback is he doesn't really let those week-to-week results get to him, and, and that's what the coach is like. Well, beyond his, his more of a take-charge attitude and other intangibles that come with that, are there specific things that, that – that Justin Fuente wants to see out of Josh that, you know, that year two is more likely to see than he did in year one? Or are there things Josh talked about, like, hey, these are things I've been working on in the past three months or whatever, and, and these are the things I'll be working on heading into August? Well, I, th- I think, you know, it's always been a focus since he got here is getting the ball out quick. Uh-huh. And that comes with an understanding of the, the offense and understanding defenses and everything like that. So I think that's a constant thing that he's working on. You know, Fuente kind of said at the end of the year is – you know, he wants to see Josh make the plays that are there. And you go back to that, uh, you know, Camping World Bowl. Mrs. Henry Murphy on a deep ball. I think it was Henry Murphy. He overthrew in that, I want to say early in the second half. I can't remember exactly when that was, but that's a touchdown. If he hits and, you know, lofts the ball up there and makes a nice play. Uh, I had one to Eric Kuma late where I think he was open. That could have been a touchdown. They did, he didn't hit him in the end zone. I mean, you're talking about two passes that were there. Uh, two touchdowns that could have made a difference in that game. So uh, it's not necessarily going out there and being the superstar quarterback or anything like that. Uh, I think that maybe is unreasonable given the capabilities of the offense and the experience level and everything like that. 
Uh, but if you go out there and make the plays in the system that are there, you can be a really effective quarterback. So I, I think it's just sort of doing that, is making those plays that you should make and he knows he should make. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, you had a very lengthy interview with Ryan Willis. Recently. Yeah, all of four minutes. <laughs> uh, Ryan is the transfer from Kansas. Kansas. Kansas, yeah. And uh, what, what what did you glean out of those four minutes? Well, this is an interesting case. He, He's from Kansas. He went to Kansas and kind of got thrown in the fire on a really bad Kansas team those first two years. Uh, I want to say he made eight starts uh, in his two years there, 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. You look at that stat line, you go, oh, man, this guy, he can't play. Kansas went 2-22 and in those two years. Uh, not exactly a program hitting on all cylinders, so I don't know how much you can judge him uh, based on those two years. He transfers to Virginia Tech. His dad had a connection with James Shebest, the special teams coordinator. Sort of a leap of faith. Came here as a walk-on after he had a scholarship at Kansas. Had to sit out last year. He was on the scout team. And the way he talked about it is he sort of, uh, you know, fell in love with football again, which, you know, presupposes that he fell out of love with football right. a little bit with how those first couple of years went. And, you know, he's telling us, you know, I, I played at a, a program in high school my senior year where they were undefeated and won the state championship. Then you go to Kansas and you go 2-22 and 22, uh, over two seasons. So I think it's just guys that win in high school like that aren't used to going somewhere and losing like that. And, and I think Kansas has been kind of a mess, uh, you know, ever since they got rid of Mangino, quite honestly. I mean, Charlie Weiss and, and all the guys that have followed him up there uh, have not been able to turn that program around. So... Uh, you get out of that situation, you come to a place like Virginia Tech that has a pretty good reputation with quarterbacks now, has a, obviously a long bowl streak and everything. It's a, a program set up well for the future. Uh, I think it sort of changed his mindset a little bit last year, and he came in and it sounded very refreshing to hear him talk, just like, I'm just happy to get out there and play again and get a chance. Well, Kansas is on a little bit of a roll, obviously. The basketball team's in the Final Four. Uh, proud Kansan uh, Clint Boyer won the a NASCAR race on Monday. At, oh well, at, at, another at feather well, in the cap of Kansas. Hundred, hundred ninety straight uh, winless races. He won. Um, Boyer's a funny guy, but yeah, I, I look forward to reading meeting Ryan because uh, is he from Kansas? Uh, I think it's Overland Park, Kansas. Okay. Is where he's from. I found Kansas Kansas people to be very interesting. I've never been to Kansas. That's one state I haven't been able to cross off my list. I think I have. There's like a Midwestern section there. That, Missouri, and Oklahoma I haven't hit yet. But you've hit like Montana and stuff. Oh, yeah. I've hit all the Western states. Uh, Okay. How about Hendon Hooker? I mean, the other guy in this mix here. He is 20 pounds heavier than he was last year. Really? I mean, you remember him in the spring. He was just rail thin. And he was fresh out of high school, hadn't gone through, you know, had, had the winter off-season conditioning but didn't have a full year in it and a full year of eating like a, a college athlete uh so it sounds like he's made good use of the weight room and a good use of the dining facilities at virginia tech which he needed he needed to put on some weight uh you know i think the big thing with him is he's just it's his second year it's his second go around with it he did pretty well uh his first time last year was the one of the stars of that spring game last year it, admittedly going against second team guys or you know lower team guys uh, uh was the defense that he was going up against but still i think he was like 10 for 11 had the only one of the only touchdowns in the game that he, he completed uh so now he's in year two is that enough to unseat an incumbent starter like josh jackson i don't know uh, you know if i was a betting man i'd say no but 
Uh, I mean, he's 6'4". He's a dual threat guy. He's been around a little bit. He's shown some ability before. It sounds like he, is, he was not overwhelmed last year in practice because he wasn't on the scout team. He was on the real group and occasionally got to run the show uh, in Thursday practices. It sounded like he was up to speed on stuff, and they didn't really miss a beat when he went in there. So uh, it sounds like he's got a shot. Uh, we've seen so little practice that it's really hard to you know separate fact from fiction and what they're talking about here. So I, I'm really curious to see how he fares in, in a you know scrimmage situation like the spring game where you know it's a bigger stage than these practices going on. Everybody will get a chance to see how he's doing and you know kind of compare to what he did last year. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's probably the number one thing I'm I'll be looking for in the spring game is just how he plays. I'm I'm very interested in that. Uh, Typically, the spring game doesn't deliver <laughs> deliver what you you know what you're looking for. Uh, it never does. No, it, it, you always walk out of there kind of disappointed. But uh, I, I will keep a close eye on him uh, on April 14th. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Well, another guy I, I'm sure a lot of people will be keeping an eye on in the spring game is Devin Hunter. You had a chance to sit down with him or or, or interview him at one point. You're going to write something on him soon. Uh it's going in Thursday's paper. Okay. Uh, sit down with him. Everything is a press conference situation. Somebody's usually standing in those <laughs> scenarios, right? Uh, but he's playing safety and whip linebacker now. And well, what he are your came impressions? in. He came in as a safety, and now they're playing him at the whip linebacker nickel position. Okay, which is interesting. I, you know, he came in with such high expectations because he was this you know highly recruited guy. I think everybody sort of assumed he was going to play. Uh, from the get-go, and then you get here, and Terrell Edmonds is the starting safety, and Reggie Floyd is trained all spring to be the starting rover, and Divine Diablo is coming along as a, as a reserve guy. Uh, he gets nicked up a little bit in August, has a concussion, uh, hamstring problem later on. All of a sudden, you're behind the eight ball. I mean, it's tough even for a guy with his talent to get on the field right away, and I think some people might look at that and go, what are they doing? Why are they playing this guy? They you know, he's this uber talent, and they're not getting him on the field. It's like, well, you need to know what you're doing in right. the defense. You can't just have, you know, in high school you could skate by on just being, you know, freakishly athletic and, and do that stuff. And in college, everybody's pretty athletic. you got to understand the defense, and that takes time. I think a lot of people assumed that he would come in and, and compete for one of the safety spots this year, but they have him working at the whip spot because Mook Reynolds is out. Uh, this spring with an injury still coming back from something uh, at the end of the year. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what they don't specify in Virginia Tech injuries because, you know, Lord knows if somebody finds out what the injury is in spring ball, it's such an advantage to the other team. But uh, anyway, he's getting a full complement of reps by playing the whip linebacker nickel spot. And it sounds like that might be his position long term because they don't really have somebody lined up as the successor after Mook Reynolds. And, and, you know, Mook is a senior. He's played that position really well. It's sort of more of a defensive back-oriented position now where it's it's a lot of coverage. They want somebody who can throw their helmet in the mix when it's a run play and stuff like that. And you look at Devin Hunter, and he's got coverage skills. He's got size to do that. He's a really incredible athlete. I mean, there's a reason why he had this, uh, you know, recruiting profile every school in the country wanted him. Uh, so it's... I'm. I'm eager to see how he does in that position, and, and I kind of wonder if this is going to be his long-term position down the line because, uh, you know, if you've got Reggie Floyd, who's a junior starting at Rover, you've got Divine Diablo, who they like a lot, uh, is probably the starter at free safety, who's also – or actually, he's a sophomore. He got the year back from last year. You know, you don't want to go two years where you're not starting Devin Hunter in some spot or finding a way to work him in. I think if he's at that whip linebacker spot and has a little more versatility to him, 
there are more ways to get him on the field, even if Mook comes back and is the expected starter all season. Well, the linebacking core as a whole, we know, is one of the huge question marks for this team. What's the latest on that on on that position battle in there? Well, they go in with nobody that has any kind of experience whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, the, the the extent of experience on the regular defense is, I think, Dylan Rivers got five snaps last year against North Carolina. It's like, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you lose Matua Pawaka, three-and-a-half-year starter, Tremaine Edmonds, All-American, two-year starter, Sean Hulescamp was a you know solid backup for who was a, a veteran guy. Anthony Chagag, who played a bunch of positions, also a senior that graduated. Devontae Beckett had his legal deal last year uh, with the marijuana possession that is you know parted ways with the school here. He was sort of expected to be the next Mike linebacker. So you, you lose essentially the top five guys from the start of last season. Rayshard Ashby is the top Mike linebacker this spring. He played on special teams last year. Dylan Rivers is the top backer. He played on special teams last year, and that's the extent of the experience. Everybody else is red shirts or, or younger. Uh, you know, Alan Tisdale is a true freshman who enrolled early that's here this spring, but uh, that's going to be a work in progress for that group. I mean, it's not a position that uh, you just step in and know everything about it. I mean, you're calling plays at those positions. Uh, you know, Bud Foster says it every year. Is, you know, experience is the best teacher, and he's got guys that have no experience right now. Uh, it, it's really an interesting situation right now because I, I, I honestly don't know how to project those spots. I mean, I think those two guys uh, that are up there right now are probably going to start at the beginning of the year just because that's how it works. You, you get experience, you practice in the spring, you probably win that starting job, but... Uh, you know, it's possible somebody like Dax Hollyfield could come in as a true freshman and, and maybe get some playing time. I don't know. Well, Hollyfield was the guy who prompted Bud to do a cartwheel in the hallways of uh, the Merriman Center right after he committed. That's right. He signed. First time I think he did one since Wyatt Teller committed from a while back. <laughs> and Bud was doing it when he had knee surgery. So Dax Hollyfield's an interesting case, though, because I think – People look at him, and he's sort of like the golden boy. Like he's like the six four guy. You know, looks like he's you know from like an eighties movie, an eighties sports movie. Like if you put the headband on him, like I don't want to give him like a negative evil connotation, but if you put the headband on him, he'd probably look like Johnny Lawrence from the Karate Kid. Like he's he's like that. Is his hair kind of shaggy? Like it that? is. It is shaggy. I'll show you a picture of him uh, afterwards. Uh, I don't have it called up here, but yeah. He, he looks like he's just like one of those 80s movies like athletes that they would talk about. So you you see that. You see how highly he was recruit, ranked in the recruiting rankings. You see the battle that Virginia Tech had to win from that. He's been up at practice a couple times in the spring just kind of like hanging out and watching. Like, like he's part of the group. He's not in pads, obviously, but he's right. sitting there like right next to Bud as he's doing all the teaching. Uh, and I think a lot of people just go, oh, he's going to step right in and start right away. And, you know, like we saw with Devin Hunter, it doesn't work like that. You have to work your way in. Um, I'm just from like you, if you just step back and you see like what would it take for Dax Hollyfield to win that starting job to start the year? Well, he'd have to get here in the summer. He'd have to win the starting job in four weeks, which means performing better than guys that were here who played last year on special teams, who were here for all of spring 15 practices, who were here for, you know, a year, year and a half, two years in the weight program, everything like that. Uh, You'd have to be far and away better than those guys, I think, to actually earn a starting job as a true freshman. And then you go in and your first starting job would be at, you know, was it Doak Campbell? Yeah, Doak Campbell. In Florida State, in Tallahassee. Uh, that's your first starting experience on Labor Day night against Florida State. I know it's not Florida State, all caps, uh, like it used to be, but it's still a pretty good program. 
Uh, that's a pretty tall task. So my guess is that the guys that are working there now, uh, somebody like Rayshard Ashby, Dylan Rivers, the top guys right now, I just think that's going to be the depth chart come you know Labor Day night. Now that could change over the course of the season. I could definitely see Hollyfield working his way in, but the expectation of oh this guy will come in and he'll start away right away, I just, I just don't see it happening. Well, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on all of those battles. Uh, it's funny because this weather, it's spring, but it hasn't felt like spring today does. We're taping this on a Wednesday, but recently, I mean, the, the, the Martinsville race got postponed by snow. I mean, they, they have did, to be. Did you show up expecting the race to be on? They're like, ain't no race today. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, kind of a funny story. I, I, I always get there really early because I hate traffic, right? I'm, and Martinsville I'm, traffic is like. It used, historically bad. It, it used to be really bad. Okay. And it's gotten better. They've done a lot better job. And there's fewer people coming to the races, so it's easier to get people in and out. But I got there at like 7 in the morning. They postponed it at 7.30. But I didn't get a text or a tweet or anything. Like or it, nobody, you know, Steve found out, but he didn't tell me because he figured I just knew. Um, so you know how I am with my walking. So I went walking around the campground for about two and a half hours because <laughs> and didn't I, check your phone at all during that. Well, I, time. I tweeted some pictures and stuff, but I didn't actually scroll through Twitter to look for anything. And and I would have seen it had I done that. But blissful but, ignorance to everything that's, that's going on around. Well, you. the campground is the one place that's sort of business as usual, right? There's people up drinking ales, right. cooking cooking meat. You know, nothing's supposed to start until eleven o'clock. So. Uh, finally I go to the gate and it's locked. And I, I asked this man in a yellow jacket, I said, well, can I get in the press box? He's like, he's like, well, do you know anybody up there? I'm like, well, yeah, I know the, the speedway guy, you know, and he's like, well, why do you want to get up there? I'm like, well, to, to cover the races today. There's two races. He says, there ain't no racing today, boy. <laughs> so that's how I found out. I mean, it was, I was the last to know, and I was the first to the, to the track. And well, the at least you had a nice know. walk around the, <laughs> I did. the I did. fairgrounds there. I love, I love the campground there. It's really – people watching is a lot of fun. All right, but, but my point about the indoor practice facility, I mean, that, that thing comes in handy in springs like this for sure. You don't anticipate this kind of weather, and they've, they've had that indoor practice field. But that, that facility costs a lot of money. Uh, you had a really interesting tweet that I think got a lot of uh, traction, but, I mean, uh, on the net expenses for all the sports for Virginia Tech. Take us through what, what you learned from, from that. Well, this was at the Board of Visitors meeting the other day. Uh, they put the presentation online, and it just kind of tells you the breakdown of financials at Virginia Tech and you know who makes the money and, and where the money is lost otherwise. Uh $90 million in expenses at Virginia Tech, $87 million in revenues. They're a little bit in the red, a little bit more in the red this year than last year. They had been in the black for a long time, especially under Jim Weaver. They had been very financially sound with that. They're sort of in an investment-heavy stage, I would say, right now, with all the construction that's going on, uh, obviously increasing prices of scholarships. Uh, they just allocated $10 million for the ACC Network studio that they're going to build in Lane Stadium, which... You know, that's upfront money. You have to establish that so the network can launch in 2019, and then you expect the money to come back later from the, the profits from that. I think some estimates put it at 8 to $10 million a year, possibly. So, you know, you pay that upfront, you get that back later. But uh, I saw the breakdown by sport, and it just sort of underscores how much football just drives the finances right. at all these places. Football last year at Virginia Tech had $54 million in revenues. And it had $30 million in expenses. So it's a profit of $24 million. Basketball, 
about broke even men's basketball, $210,000 profit. Women's basketball lost $3.3 million, you know, with salaries, travel, everything associated with that. The ticket prices and, and ticket revenue is just not going to make up for that. The other sports, uh, and this is not really, it's not really fair to say other sports. I think the other sports themselves lost about $12 million. But then when you factor in everything else that goes in, potential losses in the program, uh, Everything else in the program has a revenue of $21 million and expenses of $45 million. So this $23 million that you're losing there that essentially football is paying for everything in the athletic department. Uh, it just kind of shows you it's like, yep, there's the moneymaker here, and this is why you pay so much attention to football. And people are like, oh, why does football get such a big staff and you know all the attention paid to it? It's like, well, this is why. Because if you don't have a good football program, you're not paying for everything else at Virginia Tech. Right. Well, when you sent that tweet out, do you remember how many likes and retweets it got? Oh, it got a good number. You, you, your, your tweets typically perform fairly well. Uh, uh, yes. I can't I say the say. same for me. Six million ways to die. Choose one. All right, we have to do a hard out on that one because it, it gets a little <laughs> blue after that. That is a song called serial killer uh it's on doggy style the uh, seminal album of snoop dogg which you don't know how white you sound right now did you did you own this. did you own the doggy style album? i have the death row greatest hits i don't know if i have that specific i don't know if i have okay. that one okay well that would explain why you never got the picnic caskets tweet i, I might c- it's, it's, it might be my cd collection I, I haven't sifted through my cd collection in a long time i'm gonna try to explain this once and then we won't have to do it again but at near the end of that song, about two and a half minutes into that song, there's a lyric. Uh, not Snoop, but it's one of his collaborators. And he says, deep, deep like the minds of Minolta. That's not a dated reference at all. Now picture this. Let's picnic inside a morgue, not picnic baskets, picnic caskets. And he kind of draws out the caskets part. So my tweet in December of 2014. It's my tweet de resistance. It's my best tweet I've ever done. Not response-wise. I, I was but... driving home from the uh, military bowl, and I heard Serial Killer on, uh, on XM Radio, and I decided to tweet this. It's a conversation between two fictional people. Not picnic baskets, picnic caskets. And then the other guy says, oh, sorry, sir, I misheard you. And then the first guy says, just get the picnic caskets. And the other guy says, right away, sir. And this got what? Like one like? It, had it, one, it got one like. I sent it into the, the into the Ethernet or into the Internet world and I expected just it was standing, standing ovation, uh, retweets and likes. And, oh, my God, you know, I want to hire you as a, you know, our social media director. <laughs> one like. Uh, it's it's now up to five because I've um, you know I've been very bullish about referencing it many times over the years and occasionally it'll pick up an extra like over the time, but it's really catching fire. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a tendency to do that sometimes, and I think this will be better during the season because we're tweeting about the games and the moments in the games, and people will remember the moments in the games that these tweets are referencing. But we're going to introduce this segment now, and it'll be a lot shorter in the future. It'll just be really quick, but. What the idea behind it is one tweet that I sent out that severely underperformed. Uh, in general, what I'd like to do is tweets that I thought were good. Because you know, we've, we've probably both sent out tweets before where we knew that they weren't any good. 
but uh, all these, mine are gold. What are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, but you get the likes and hearts, man. I love my followers. I, you know, I'm I'm happy to have the ones I do. Um, I appreciate their their support. But uh, so this week. It doesn't really go with the true essence of what we want because I know this was a, a really crappy tweet anyway, but we'll just introduce it with this one because I didn't have a ton of underperforming tweets this week. Uh, this was tweeted at 7.49 p.m. on the 25th of March. I guess that's Friday night? Whenever the 60 Minutes interview with Stormy Daniels it was. It was Sunday night. Sunday night, yeah. Okay, 60 Minutes has been, missed on, it by two days. been on Sunday nights for years, hasn't <laughs> it? Okay, uh, here's the tweet. Stormy Daniels, more like interviewed person Daniels. I know the second one isn't as jazzy, but it's more accurate. What? How many tweets did that get? Or one tweets. Like. One like. <laughs> Johnny H. Thank you, Johnny H. I appreciate that. And while we're while we're doing this, I got a little housekeeping. To I want to thank. Speaking of Twitter, thank um, Fighting Gobbler on Twitter for correcting me. I butchered. I've butchered that uh, Tech's last appearance in the in the uh, NCAA tournament against like the Salukis four different times. The he he accurately said what actually happened was Tech was a fifth seed, beat twelfth seeded Illinois, then lost to fourth seeded Northern Illinois. That's what happened. In Southern Illinois, you're still doing it. God. All right, sorry guys. <laughs> Southern Illinois. I knew last week when I said Northern Illinois, I knew that was wrong. They're the Huskies, right? Southern Illinois are the Salukis. The Salukis were. I mean, they they were they were very physical, man. I remember that game very well, but I don't remember who was playing. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, maybe we can use this as a segue to the discussion about the women's lacrosse team. Because speaking of songs with offensive lyrics, killer, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I'm sure everybody knows by now. I mean, the, the the women's lacrosse team had a short, what is it, a Snapchat, Facebook. Yeah, I'm not sure what exactly social media. It was posted on social media. Posted on social media. Uh, they were singing along with a song, uh, Little Little Dicky or something. Freaky like Friday that. by Little Dicky. Little Dicky, okay. I, I was not familiar with this uh, particular <laughs> verse before this whole I, I wasn't either. Um but it had uh, the N word copiously included in in the song, and they were singing along with it. And they're white girls, and uh, it's it blew up into something. What was the Deadspin headline you you found? The Deadspin headline I thought was pretty unfair to this. It says video shows Virginia Tech women's lacrosse team chanting the N word. Coach calls it quote teachable moment. Yeah, that's they that's... weren't chanting. And like, listen, I'm not going to condone the behavior. I'm not going to suggest that hey a bunch of white people should go sing this song and post it on social media with the Virginia Tech logos on it. That's obviously a very bad look and probably shouldn't do that. But to sit here and say that they were chanting it, no, they were singing along to a popular song. You go back to, what was that case, that Oklahoma frat that was singing that incredibly racist like old song that they had that was like N-word hard R, not, not the rap version that's become so popular. That was very problematic because it was a racist song. And on top of that, I don't quite see that in this case. I I think there is some nuance to this. I'm not saying I approve of it or anything like that. I can understand why Virginia Tech had the response that it did to that. But I think some people, in the way that Deadspin framed this whole thing, being like, if you just read that and you didn't know what was going on, it's like, oh, yeah, they're chanting the N-word. Of course, that's that's not something that you would want to have. And then you click on it and you go, oh, they were singing a song, uh, singing along to a song. That's... 
maybe not as bad as the way they set it up. Well, Mark Berman's story was a lot more fair. The one that ran in our paper, uh, Berman talked to Coach Sung, and Sung was very apologetic about everything and said, you know, there's no – I mean, in addition to saying it was a teachable moment, he also said that nobody should ever say that ever. You know, like there was a lot of quotes in there beyond just the teachable moment one. Um, yeah, I'll have to admit, I mean, I've sung along with songs. I mean, the serial killer and others that, you know, you just kind of sing along with it. And, and I like Tupac. You know, you can't it. sing yeah. Tupac without sort of crossing that Rubicon there. But I'm I'm not going to film myself doing no. it and put it up there on Twitter or anything like that. But and I and, and really, I think we should all rethink it, you know, just not, probably not do it at all. Right. I don't, even even when you're singing along with a song, it's just. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's a sort of a mountain out of a molehill, but I also, uh, you know, I thought the, I thought the apology seemed pretty genuine from Sung. I mean, just based well, I think so too. I don't know what really else people expected of it. No, it's like oh, it, I think that Deadspin headline, you know, you know, coach calls it a teachable moment after putting that first part of the the phrase. I felt feel like they were trying to make it something bigger than it was. I don't really know what you expect a coach to say about that. Right. Right. Well, let's talk Final Four for just a brief minute. Let's do it. Shall we? Uh, Since we've been wrong <laughs> on our NCAA picks all, all year long. Well, as you noted off air, we've been right about one thing, basically, and that's it. And it, it was after this tournament started yeah. that we figured it out. After the tournament started, we both saw Villanova live up close. And granted, they were playing Radford, uh, so they were going to win that game handily. But we saw the offensive capability one to five on that team and how they got these six, seven guys who are just stepping out and shooting threes effortlessly. And they got the player of the year candidate and Jalen Brunson. And I go, that team's going to win this whole thing. I feel very confident about them doing that. And sure enough, they've been very impressive in their run getting to the final four and, and obviously have a tough matchup in Kansas coming up here. But um, I would still pick them to win the whole thing at this point. I think they're just a, a very complete team and, and obviously have the chops having been there before and wanting to na- having won a national title. I say it's nothing new for this team to compete on this stage. Yeah, they're five-point favorites in that game against Kansas. I mean, of course, Kansas is a one-seed itself. So. I've been wrong on Kansas all season. Uh, I didn't think they were as good as they have been in the past. Uh, they win the Big 12 every year, so it's not like, oh, they won the Big 12, they must be good. I mean, they, they do that every year, whether they're good or bad it seems like but i of all the one seeds that were out there i thought they were the most vulnerable uh, to lose i think i had them going out to nc state in the second round and of course i don't think nc state even got to the second round lost <laughs> right away uh and then every round subsequently from that i'm like oh they're gonna lose to yeah whoever the the eight nine seed was uh, in that second round i can't remember exactly at the top of my head oh they're gonna lose to clemson oh they're gonna lose to duke and they keep winning all these games so uh you know bill self is like quietly I mean, I don't want to say quietly because he's won a national championship, but people just kind of like gloss over the fact that how great of a coach he's been at right. Kansas. I mean, they won what, like 13 or 14 straight Big 12 titles? Like, they're like every single year they're just going to win the Big 12. I mean, that's just a, a you know, death and taxes in Kansas winning the Big 12. Yeah. Well, Loyola Chicago has been an underdog in every single game this year. They were a very short dog against Miami in their opening game. but Every single tournament game. Every, yeah, every okay. single tournament game. Uh, they've been a rubber band banks producing machine for dog lovers. And, and they're fun to watch, man. They're fun to watch. They, they, that, that extra pass that gets made, the wraparounds and things like that. Um, 
it's kind of cool to see them do as well as they do. What do you think of Sister Jean? What are your thoughts on, on her? Am I going to go the Stu Gatz route on <laughs> Sister Jean here? It's it's obviously a great story. It's reached the point where it's been written about so much that it's just like, all right, it's kind of overkill on the whole thing. But obviously that's the story that's associated with Loyola. She's on TV all the time and – uh, you know, this this incredible run that they're doing. And who's going to be upset about, like, the you know, kindly grandmother nun that's well, there uh, following this team along the whole ride? I mean, it's it's it's, it's a pretty incredible story. I mean, if, if you pitch this kind of story as, like, a movie, it's like, oh, that's too cheesy. Like, just stop. Yeah. That's kind of what this is. Well, I saw a woman who looked exactly like Sister Jean at Alejandro's last night, and she was ailing it up big time. So I'm not sure... I, it couldn't have been Sister Jean because Sister Jean will have none of that. What was the the Stugatz take on Sister Jean? It's like Sister Jean kind of makes it all about Sister Jean. Stugatz is strong and like I'm a you're a you know national sensation. It's like I don't mean to correct you, but I'm an international sensation. <laughs> I guess when you're what is she 98, 98, 98 year old nun, you can you can get away with that kind of stuff. What do you think of these final four matchups? Like this is a weird year where you got the two one seeds on one side. You got a three versus an 11 on the other side. Uh, I'm not a fan of, like, reseeding or anything like that. No. I hate it when people bring up that argument. First of all, it would kill, like, the bracket. Right. Like, the bracket prediction. I don't know how you could fill out a bracket like that if you were reseeding at the end. But I just – I hate it when the, the bracket gets unbalanced like this at the end because I feel like it leads to a bad Final Four. I'm, I'm interested in – I mean, I, I think Loyola Chicago's got a chance to cover that number and maybe win that game against Michigan. I, I'm – I'm very interested in that game. Uh, I was hoping for a Villanova-Duke matchup. I think most people were. Uh, it just – that would have been very juicy. Uh, Kansas – yeah, I mean, again, five-point dogs. I mean, I think Duke would have been maybe a pick em or, you know, maybe a two-point dog or something like that. How much better would this Final Four look if Kentucky was in instead of Loyola? Would you be more interested in uh, it no, or are you no, more interested no. in the underdog factor? Not me. Really? Uh, not me. Um, I know we talked about that before, and I, I, I'm kind of with you on the – I like to see the Blue Bloods kind of take control at some point. But the Loyola-Chicago story has been great. And they're also, you know, yes, they've won some games late, but they've done it, you know – they had they've never panicked i mean they've always looked uh, in control of, of their of their situation and I've, I've been just super impressed with them and really enjoyed watching their games and enjoyed cashing those tickets on them i think if this was like a more vintage kentucky team uh then i'd be more upset about kentucky yeah. not making it this far I mean, that was a flawed kentucky team it was. to begin with i mean they were a five seed for a reason uh Fell out of the rankings for a while. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really find their way. And it was like, oh, this is the Coach Cal's best coaching job ever. It's like, I'll go with the team that was 32-0 going into the Final Four, whatever it was that year. I know it was more immensely talented, but to get the most out of those guys and to have them playing like that is a lot more impressive, I think, than what they did this year. It's always popular to say when a, a team is, like, not quite as good, but, like, sort of decent to be like, that was their best coaching job. It's like... I'll go with the national championship season when they put everything together. I think that was their best coaching job. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Kentucky just didn't have it this year. And they, once they lost to Kansas State, it's like, man, yeah, I hope Loyola does win this game. I don't want to see Kansas State no. in the Final Four. That would have been just dreadful if they were. That's a program that, I'm sorry if I'm offending any Kansas State fans that are out there, but it's just no juice to that whatsoever. Well, we just got some none. Kansas love earlier on the That's podcast, true. So That's true. That bounces it out. Yeah, Michigan, I think, you know, playing in the title game a couple years ago, uh, winning the Big Ten this year 
and kind of going on the run that they did. I think a lot of people had Michigan in the Final Four and saw this run coming. So, you know, that's acceptable. You have the one Cinderella in there. I don't know, the history of Cinderella, when, like, George Mason made it and Wichita State made it. Uh, they might not have been 11. Were they in 11 seed when they make it? Uh, I know George, George Mason George Mason was. was yeah. uh I don't know. Those final fours just weren't very memorable to me in hindsight when, when they get there. Cause I think eventually the odds kind of catch up to these schools and they play a really good team. It's like, okay, they're, they're not quite on that level. They could, they could have the magic. Now, now listen, if Loyola wins the first matchup against the championship game, that will be a heavily watched championship game. Cause everybody's looking for Villanova over Georgetown or NC state over Houston, like those historic upsets that, uh, you know, they really haven't had that in a while. I mean, what's the lowest seed to win the title somewhat recently? Wasn't UConn like a five or a six that one year? Yeah, if you're talking uh, recent. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's, that's, not, the, that's not like an eight or an 11 or anything like right. that. No, I mean, I was just looking at the board, the office pool board, and they put a yellow highlighter on all the incorrect picks, you know, and it's just all yellow. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just all yellow. <laughs> I didn't enter that pool this year, but, I, you know, it's it, I, I – We've talked before. I root for the story. You know, I have one team that I care about, and that's the Orioles, and then I root for the story everywhere else. And in, in this case, Loyola Chicago winning it would be the best story. I'd love to see that. I mean, it'd be, be pretty cool. Um, I'd love to see them in the championship game, I think. And then you want to see them get beat by a one. Oh, no, just, and then whatever happens, happens. Okay. But I think that would be a very intriguing championship game. I've never been one about the sort of the beauty of basketball. You know, I, I, you know, like I don't watch basketball and say, oh, this is so aesthetically pleasing to me. I, so I need the story. I need some sort of storyline behind it. You know, I can watch baseball just for the heck of it. I can watch a little league game. I can watch soccer. The artistry of soccer and baseball is yeah i mean i guess different strokes different folks and all that stuff but speaking of baseball it's a beautiful day outside let's end this thing on a bold prediction do you do you have any i don't really have any bold predictions like i I was like trying to think like oh maybe we could do our world series picks and stuff and i was like running through the divisions and i'm picking i'm looking i'm like there's a clear favorite that i would go with in every division i think like there's just not a lot of drama from year one year to the next in baseball like obviously somebody will come out of nowhere uh, you know, like the Twins last year were the worst team in baseball, and they made the playoffs. Uh, oh, you know, their pre-scheduled loss to the Yankees in the wild card game. I saw that one coming a mile away. <laughs> but to, to kind of come out of nowhere and have that experience, somebody will do that this year in baseball. I don't know who it's going to be, but if I just look at the divisions, I can go, here are the six winners, and I feel pretty confident those six teams are going to win it. The divisions have never been more top-heavy since the – since 1994 when they went to six divisions. I mean, there are seven teams with an over-under of at least 91.5 in Vegas in win total. I mean, that's just uncanny. And they're spread across the six divisions? uh, Except for the AL East, which is Yankees and Red Sox. And every other division has a clear-cut favorite. The Astros, the Indians, the Dodgers. um, Nationals, Nationals, Cubs. Cubs. And then the Yankees are favored to win the World Series. Here's my bold prediction. The we Yankees, need some hot take music. The Yankees here. not only will not make, win the World Series, they will not make the postseason. How about that? That is bold, uh, especially for a team that's going to hit like 400 home runs this year. They're going to hit. They're going to hit a lot of home <laughs> runs. Here's the thing. Pitching, Aaron, I assume pitching is the downfall. Pitching, sorry, pitching is not great. Their their bullpen's amazing. Um, I think Stanton's going to flop. I know he's the defending International League MVP, and I know he hit, what, 52 homers last year? I think he's going to flop. And I think they're going to be booing him, 
and I think it won't be they won't be saying Aaron Boone. Uh, Aaron Boone is coming out of the out of the broadcast booth. Uh, everyone envies him right now because wow, you can just trot the lineup out there and you're going to win by ten runs every night. I don't see it going down like that, man. I see a lot of strikeouts, which I know teams are okay with now. They're fine with it, but I see a lot of strikeouts and some underperformance. And I see a division, unlike those other divisions, where every team except the Rays can can beat you on a given night, even the Orioles. The Orioles can. Blue Jays are okay. Uh, the Red Sox, I think, are the best team in that division, even though they're not uh, they're not the favorite in the division Vegas-wise. They're, they're like uh, eight to five, and Yankees are one to one. So, uh, but I, I'm higher on the red side. I think all those guys that had bad years last year, um, you know, at least half of them will be better than they were last year and rebound. And, and that team's that team's loaded, man. It's got it doesn't have any weaknesses. I think Mookie Betts is going to be your AL MVP. I think he'll have a 30-30 season, win another Gold Glove. Did you happen to see his video the other day? No. He was doing an interview with, like, the TV announcers in the middle of the spring training game. Uh, And I think Chris Bryant was up for the Cubs. Uh, And, like, the pitch comes and he hits it to right field. And Betts is like, oh. And he starts, like, running after. He's like, not going to get this one, boys. (laughs) It's like into the (laughs) corner. And they start laughing at it. And he throws the ball back in. I think it was a triple or something for Bryant. But, Funny that the ball goes right to him when he's being interviewed in the, the game. I, I guess that's inevitable if you're doing mid-game interviews. Yeah. Now, you don't think the Yankees, with their resources and their farm system now, which is like one of the best yeah, in baseball, that if they struggle out of the gates, they're not going to have the resources to go find some starting pitching or find some things that are going to correct this team? I mean, first of all, how good of the starting pitching do they even need? They need to get to the fifth inning, then that bullpen just lights out from there. One of these superpowers, bold prediction. One of these superpowers is going to be a bust, and the and the Yankees have the hardest road of any of the superpowers. The the AL just East, because the the Red Sox are there. Red Sox, the Orioles aren't terrible. Okay, the they Orioles aren't, they aren't terrible Toronto, now. But look, what what happens when they trade Manny Machado midway through the season? One and, of my other predictions is that the Indians will win 110 games. And part of that is you're playing Detroit 18 times, you're playing Kansas City 18 times, you're playing the White Sox 18 times. Yeah. That's not what New York is going to do. They're going to have to play teams that are good. And um, now, you know, if they get in the second wild card, I'll, I can kind of claim maybe a half victory, right? Uh, on my prediction. Because nobody's saying that. Nobody's sure. saying that. They're either going to win the thing or they're going to finish second to the Red Sox and take the first wild card, is what everyone thinks, right? Sure. Yes, I'd agree with that. NL, NL MVP will be Trey Turner from the Nationals. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Big year from him. And also your World Series champion will be the Nationals. Nationals get it done this year. Nationals, yep. They're First time six. manager. They kind of have to. They're running out of time. Yeah, with that, uh, Harper's gone. He's gone after this season. So Where's he going to go? Um, Angels, maybe? Do they uh, have any money left? Somewhere out LA? west? Dodgers? Dodgers, I mean, Dodgers are... Didn't he want to play for the Cubs and reunite with Chris Bryant there? Wasn't that something that was out there a while ago? I'm sure he'd be I don't know if the Cubs that. are positioned to... I don't know. It'll be interesting. You don't think the Nats have a chance to re-sign him? I doubt it. I don't think so. I mean, they've, they've invested a lot in their pitching, right? They, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think it was – everyone thought it was a foregone conclusion he was going to go to the Yankees, but then Stanton happened. and so I mean, Because that, the Yankees couldn't possibly get somebody else. No, no, I, I wouldn't <laughs> rule that out either. I wouldn't rule that out. I, I'm, I would say Angels. That's, that's going to be my guess. What do you think this Otani guy is going to do? He had a crappy spring. Yeah, I think they're going to give up on the hitting side of things yeah. fairly quick. 
Yeah. Like it's a great story, and like, oh, he's just like Babe Ruth. He's gonna hit and he's gonna pitch, and I think it usually works out that somebody is a better at one or the other. And I think he's a more advanced pitcher right now than he is a he, hitter. Yeah, even he says that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think eventually they're gonna be like, all right, we're gonna give up the ghost on this this hitting thing. We're gonna. I mean, they got Pujols there that's going to DH anyway because is he going to play 162 games at first base? They're going to try. They're going to try to put him out there. Well, that's not going to work. Not 162. I'm going to tell you right now that plan's not going to work. So I I think he'll be a pitcher eventually here, but I'm not sure exactly. We'll see. I agree. Well, if you want more on those five bold predictions, uh, they'll be in my column tomorrow. So oh, there's going to be five. You've got a preview. Yeah. That was just a taste. Yeah, I mean, do you, Mookie Betts maybe not that, that bold of a prediction. That's not bold. He was sixth in the AL MVP voting last year, and he was runner-up the year before. So. That's, that's not bold at all. But, well, well, Mike Trout. <laughs> I is, want bold predictions. Mike Trout is a very heavy favorite. Trey Turner is a good one. He's 22-1 to 1 to win the NL. I want you to say something like Mike Moustakis is going to win the <laughs> AL MVP. Chris Davis of the Orioles. I don't think that's happening. Either. How are you spending opening day? You got any plans? Uh, I'll watch baseball. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily have any, like, big plans. I'm not going to hold Emily out of daycare so she can oh. sit at home and watch. Although she's off on Friday because it's Good Friday, and she's at a religious daycare. So they, they take Good Friday off. So maybe we'll sit around on Friday and watch some baseball. Yeah. Well, it's a high holy day for my family, even though we don't go anymore. We're going to do it upright. Sausages and, and nachos and everything. Probably, Sounds like a probably an ale or two. Sounds like a fun day. <laughs> it will be. All right. Well, we'll get back together next week and talk some more spring football and some other things. But that'll do it for this week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We'll catch you next time.